Welcome to the Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I speak to people who fund and support social innovation in different ways. Grant providers, impact investors of various kinds, angel investors, foundations, family offices and more. They talk frankly about how they work, how they make investment, grant and funding decisions, what they will invest in or support and what they cannot. They talk about the pros and cons of different sources of funding, share lessons and insights, and provide invaluable advice for any social entrepreneur or innovator looking to build and finance a sustainable social business. There's a critical need, and we refer to that often as the pioneering gap for capital, quite often uh, catalytic capital, um, that will help to uh, essentially de-risk or prove out the business models to help them to become ultimately investment ready. I see that as a very appropriate uh, place for philanthropy to play a role. I personally put a lot of my time, energy and effort in the early stage uh, venture side because a lot of my own personal experience uh, and uh, background as an entrepreneur relates to that and to the problems that are faced there, but then I also am looking for uh, you know market rate investments on the other end of the spectrum uh, from my personal portfolio and from the, the mission-related portfolios of the foundations that I direct. I'm very pleased today to introduce Jim Sorensen. Jim is a renowned entrepreneur, business executive, and societal innovator. He's built highly successful companies in industries ranging from technology and life sciences to real estate and private equity investment. Today, he's a key focus in supporting social innovation and is a leader in the world of impact investing. Jim endowed the David Eccles School of Business at the University of Utah to create the James Lee Sorensen Global Impact Investing Center, and he supports social entrepreneurs via a number of foundations and charities. Jim has served on many community service boards, including Mission Markets, University Venture Fund, and is the chairman of Village Capital, a non-profit organization that uses the power of peer support to build world-changing enterprises. Well, thank you very much, Jim, for taking the time today to speak to Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. Well, it's great to be able to, uh, to talk to you. So I'm very much looking forward to talking to you and hearing about the great work that you're doing. You wear many hats, Jim. Um, and I'm just wondering, can you talk a little bit about the ways in which you support social entrepreneurship and, and maybe also a little bit how you became interested? Yeah, maybe I'll answer the first question or the second question first, um, because I think it, it gives insight into the, the answer of the second um, I became interested in this area uh, through my own, um, you know, business endeavors. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I've had a number of uh, companies that have been successes. I've had some that uh, have not been. Uh, I've lived the the difficult uh, challenges that um, that entrepreneurs face with a startup, um, and through that. Uh, I think recognized the the potential for addressing in a more scalable, self-sustaining way, uh, you know, problems that exist in society, or you know, benefiting those that may be 
uh, underserved. And one of the the greatest successes in in my business career was a business that um, that enabled the deaf to communicate <clears throat> with the hearing over the internet in real time in their native sign language, uh, which uh, had tremendous benefits for that underserved population. So through that experience, I saw that uh, uh, a, a business enterprise, if focused on a social problem, could really move the needle in a very uh, significant way in ultimately you know, reaching that, that population and helping to solve the, the challenges that, that it faces. And that really led me to uh, look for other uh, ways of using uh, philanthropy as well as my own personal investing to address social problems. Uh, this was well before the term impact investing had been coined. And um, I became very active in this area. And my uh, primary modes, I suppose, um, uh, of uh, supporting, you know, impact entrepreneurs uh, is really uh, in trying to create awareness and promote uh, the importance and, and what impact investing is uh, in uh, helping to educate and uh, advocate for um, ways and for, for policies that would support impact investing. And then by actually participating, by investing in social entrepreneurs and helping to create intermediaries that enable others to be able to, uh, to become involved and uh, invest or participate in impact investing. Great. That's great work. And um, as you say, it, it, when you first became involved, the, the term impact investment wasn't around. Maybe even the term social entrepreneurship, that's the, the, some of this language is quite new and evolving. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you see as the prospects uh, or potential of impact investment? What is it that you find most interesting, Jim? Well, I think there's been kind of a quiet revolution uh, of, of more and more um, investors, um, foundations um, that are, have become aware. And uh, I think there's a great interest in this space. Uh, so I think there's great potential, but I think there's a lot driving that as well. I think there's a tremendous need. I mean, you could, you could look at it from an optimistic standpoint uh, uh, and, and see the problems in the world as opportunities for uh, you know, investment and, and new enterprises to address in very innovative ways. So I think there's pent up demand uh, in that regard in the frontier markets. Um, and certainly a, a great need to solve problems in the developed world uh, in, in innovative ways uh, that lend themselves to new uh, social entrepreneurs and, and business models. I think there's also on the other side, the, the uh, demand side, uh, a greater demand for investing in businesses that address social problems. Uh, the, the next generations, the, the millennial generation, the, the X generation, uh, they, they rate this very high on the criteria that they're looking for in the investments that they make. So as the wealth transfers to these next generations, I think there will be greater demand 
and um, this will, I think, further accelerate uh, the excitement and and the activity around impact investing. Right. Now, I know you, you, you think a lot and you're involved in uh, actively helping develop the uh, ecosystem for impact investing in various different ways. And maybe we can talk about that in, in a moment. Um, I, I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about your own uh, personal investment and how you approach that and through various different vehicles, um, as you say. Um, I know you're interested in social ventures at what they call the pioneer stage. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering... What, what is it about that stage that, that you uh, would find interesting? And what, what do these kind of organizations look like and what kind of challenges do they particularly face? Okay, I hope I can get all of those questions in my mind as I, <laughs> as I address them. First of all, um, you know, I, uh, I invest in, and I see impact investing as a, as a spectrum. You have and, and very similar to traditional uh, capital markets. You have early stage companies that are appropriate for venture capital. And even before that, they need angel uh, funding or uh, friends and family. You know, this is before they're investment ready. And, and so there's a critical need. And we refer to that often as the pioneering gap for capital, and quite often uh, catalytic capital um, that will help to uh, essentially de-risk or prove out the business models to help them to become ultimately investment ready. I see that as a very appropriate uh, place for philanthropy to play a role, and we make what are called program-related investments uh, at the very early stage. We call it the pioneering gap. I think the social entrepreneurs refer it refer to it as the valley of death. Uh, and that's that stage between an idea or a prototype or an initial business model that um, has not really been uh, tested in the marketplace. Um, and so if the purposes really align with the foundation uh, and we feel like there's real promise with uh, a, a social enterprise or uh, an entrepreneurial team uh, we'll often take that first risk um, and provide the capital to help them uh, develop their business to a point where it is more investment ready. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I make personal investments. They're not through my foundations. Or the foundation may make what we call mission-related investments. That are investments that, that really are out of the corpus of the assets of the foundation to uh, businesses that are more mature, more uh, market, uh, uh, you know, full risk adjusted investments that uh, are more aligned with, uh, you know, an impact thesis or uh, the purposes of the foundation. Um, so I, I personally put a lot of my time, energy, and effort in the early stage uh, venture side because a lot of my own personal experience um, and uh, background as an entrepreneur relates to that and to the problems that are faced there. But then I also am looking for, uh, you know, market rate investments on the other end of the spectrum uh, from my personal portfolio and from the, the mission-related portfolios of the foundations that I direct. Right, right. That's very interesting. And these early-stage ventures, um, 
they uh, I, I speak to social entrepreneurs uh, often who 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 find it difficult I, I guess everybody that's the truth isn't it everybody finds it difficult to raise money um uh for their for their social ventures how would you characterize the landscape uh the funding landscape for for these early stage ventures how how much money is is out there do you think or or, or uh you know how, how would you describe it well i think um on one hand it's it's very difficult because a lot of these are are really new uh untested or unfamiliar uh business models or in geographies where there's a lack of infrastructure there's a lack of of uh you know capital and um and other uh supporting um uh you know elements that are needed to to uh, that you'd have in more developed countries for these kind of enterprises. And this always creates a challenge. Um, you know, on the, on the other end, um, I think there are, uh, you know, funds, foundations um, that uh, are very focused in these areas and sectors that uh, are interested in uh, these kind of investment opportunities that might not otherwise be interested in uh, a traditional investment. So I think there are uh, sometimes resources that are there. It's, it's really the difficult part is for those social entrepreneurs to be able to, uh, to get the access and have the help and, and quite often the mentoring to enable them to get to the point where they can get in front of uh, potential investors like my foundation or other very early stage uh, impact investors. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's, that's a very good point. Um, I, I know you've been uh, very pioneering in the use of you know, PRIs uh, to support social entrepreneurs. Can you talk a little bit about this approach um, and you know, where it comes from and uh, how, how, it, how it works? Sure. Um, PRIs, or program-related investments, uh, have really been around since the mid-60s, so they're not particularly new. I think they really fall into a, a, a category of philanthropy that I, I call catalytic philanthropy because I think when effectively used, they are an excellent tool to help um, essentially fill this pioneering gap or um, address the risk um, that uh, other capital sources find um, that they can't really um, engage. And uh, so they, they're very catalytic, I think, either in de-risking early stage investments or unproven models or uh, helping to uh, prove out um, you know, new ideas or new prototypes or new uh, business models that address social problems. Right. Um, I think they can be combined with traditional capital. We see that in the area of uh, social impact bonds or pay for success initi initiatives where you see uh, a hybrid capital stack and uh, a program related investment where foundations would uh, allow a, a preference to engage uh, 
uh, or become or they're they're subordinate to uh, you know commercial capital from other sources, and they help to de-risk the transactions and 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 make them possible. So they're very very important. A, a program-related investment, uh, the requirements for it um, are that and 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 let's let's make it clear a program related investment is essentially considered a grant and for a foundation that means it would be part of the five percent that the irs requires that a foundation give away every year so it is considered a grant in that respect so long as it meets three different um, uh, criteria the first is that it needs to be consistent with the purposes of the foundation in other words, the investment or the social enterprise that you're investing in needs to address the purposes uh, of the foundation. That, that's the, the most important test. The second criteria is that um, the, uh, the purpose behind making the investment, that primary purpose can't be for financial gain. So that isn't the reason you're making the investment. The reason you're making the investment is for the purpose of the foundation, uh, and and financial gain would be secondary. And then the third test is that it can't support uh, a political uh, purpose. It can't support lobbying. It can't support campaign campaigns. So yeah. these right. three criteria must be met in order to make a, uh, and underwrite a, a program-related investment. That's very interesting. It's in a, and it seems in a very pure sense to be an impact first type investment. Yes, it's intended very much to be an impact or uh, in, the, in the case of the foundation, consistent with the purposes of the foundation. If the purposes of the foundation are, let's say, uh, you know, environmental in nature, clean water, clean air, uh, sustainable energy, then uh, you'd be looking to make investments that support that that purpose, and and probably very early stage catalytic investments, because um, again your purpose can't be to make money, uh, that can't be the primary purpose in in that investment. It really needs to be secondary. Right, but uh, at the same time you would uh, hope uh, on balance that some of these uh, investments would actually make returns and that that could be recycled back, that that money uh, would then be, you, it could come back to the foundation and could be used again. That's correct. And in fact, you know, that's one of the purposes of the Sorensen Impact Foundation is endeavors, whether they be for-profit or non-profit, that have the potential to be scalable and self-sustaining. And uh, the uh, innovation with investing into a for-profit entity is that there is a cash flow model that helps it to become uh, scalable, helps it to become self-sustaining, and therefore generate much more impact than it might otherwise uh, generate. That's very interesting. Can you give me some in, in, indication of the, the number of uh, deals that you would have done or the size of the deals, get a sense of what, what kind of investments you'd be making here? Um, you know, we've done, you know, dozens. Uh, I, I don't have the exact uh, number, but we've done dozens of, of investments and they typically range um, in, the, in the neighborhood of between 250,000 uh, we've, we've gone as high as a million dollars, uh, but 
typically $250,000 to $500,000 investment. Sometimes we'll go lower. Um, You know, it really depends on, uh, you know, the the circumstance and and the need. Right, right. And how would a social entrepreneur engage with, uh, with, with the foundation or with one of your organizations? to to uh, seek out this kind of uh, support and how would they know indeed whether or not that this would be the appropriate vehicle for them or if they would be an appropriate vehicle for a PRI? A big question, I know. Uh, maybe a couple of pointers would, would, would be very helpful. Well, I think um, when we started, it was uh, a little bit of a challenge. We've become well-known, so uh, we have a lot of... Uh, uh, social officers that will contact us directly. Um, I endowed the Sorensen Impact Center at the University of Utah, uh, really to act as uh, an intermediary to help in the sourcing and also the due diligence, uh, the market research, uh, uh, and enable students to get an, a, a, an experiential education in this field and hopefully uh, put them on a path to become uh, uh, involved in impact uh, investing in their careers. Uh, this provides a very uh, low-cost human resource that has been very helpful to my foundation and others at this very early pioneering stage where typical due diligence is too expensive and would not typically be uh, invested in by by funds. So. Uh, in, in enabling intermediaries like the Sorensen Impact Center, another is Village Capital. We have supported them. They're an accelerator. They're a great partner and a source of, of, of deal flow, so to speak. And they provide cohorts um, all around the world uh, with social entrepreneurs. It'd be a very good organization, frankly, for you to, to uh, interview if you haven't already. Uh, but that is their business, is in, in uh, really finding and screening and helping to facilitate investments to, uh, you know, social enterprises around the world. Um, and, uh, and of course, other partners like that. Um, you know, we, we've developed, I think, a fairly extensive network for uh, sourcing and finding these opportunities and then, uh, you know, also helping them through the center and other partner organizations like Village Capital to find investors. Right, right. It taps into a, a very interesting question and a big challenging one, I know. Um, it, uh, uh, the appropriateness of different kinds of capital for different social ventures, a very big topic, uh, I know. Um, but just coming back to that question as a social entrepreneur, are there one or two questions that you would say that they, they should look to, to seek to, to, to answer in order to get a sense of whether or not uh, PRI would be appropriate for them? Or is it to some extent uh, invisible in the sense that, you know, whether it's a, a, a well, an angel or an, an equity in, investment directly or a PRI, it, it, it's less significant. Uh, I just wonder if you talked a little bit about that again. I know it's another very big topic. Sure. Well, I think if, you know, I, w- I would say this, that we're, and when we make PRIs, um, we're clearly looking for uh, social enterprises that have a deep commitment and a, a high correlation between every dollar that's made and the social impact that's generated. 
that uh, are focused on, you know, measuring uh, the social impact and have that embedded in their, their business process, just like they measure the financial performance. So it's very important um, when engaging philanthropic capital that um, there's a clear um, commitment and um, strong, um, uh, you know, a, a very a very strong uh, DNA in in the management team to the, the social impact that's that's being addressed. Uh, that may not always be true uh, in other uh, entities that uh, are addressing social problems. I mean, they they uh, you could argue, for example, that uh, Tesla is a great uh, uh, impact investment, and uh, and uh, I, I think appropriate for someone on the other end of the spectrum that wants to make a market rate return in a very exciting company that's, uh, that's addressing uh, a perplexing uh, social problem. Uh, although it may not be built into the governance or to the intentionality of the, of the management team like it might otherwise be uh, for an investment that is going to be made by a foundation as a program-related investment. And certainly the risk factor um, is much different from a startup than from, uh, you know, an investment into a company like Tesla. Yes. Clearly, that doesn't mean that there isn't room for impact investors of all types to, to engage in, in impact investing. And it really depends on their investment thesis um, and uh, really where the money is coming from, whether it's from a foundation as a program-related investment or even as a mission-related investment, or whether it's coming from uh, the, the personal investments like I might make into uh, companies like Tesla or others that, that I believe are generating positive uh, social impact. Right, right. And clearly, as, as you, you, you mentioned, uh, the whole area of impact investment is still fairly young, really. And I suppose within that, the PRI is, is, is uh, you know, a toddler <laughs> as well. What potential do you see for PRI in the future? And I know that uh, some foundations have, have not, uh, that, that some foundations are pursuing this, others are not. There's sometimes uncertainty about tax treatment and things like that. Um, so I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about the potential you see and, and, and also maybe what, what you think needs to happen for this to, you know, to, 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 to grow up? Yeah. Well, I think there's great potential. I think, uh, first of all, certainly education and there being more um, clarity around um, the, the PRI, um, you know, what's appropriate by the IRS. Now, the IRS will occasionally come out with specific examples that um, they uh, put forth as appropriate for PRIs. Other, otherwise, it's a facts and, and circumstances test. And so many foundations are, in fact, most foundations are reluctant to, to make those kind of facts and circumstances uh, decisions. Uh, and, they, and they never even pursue uh, uh, or program-related investments through their foundations because of that ambiguity. Uh, clearly, if there were more um, clarity from the IRS uh, on uh, 
appropriate uh, 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 use of uh, you know program related investments that would be helpful I mean we we uh, as at least I personally was involved in supporting uh, you know tax uh, uh, reform that would enable social entrepreneurs to be able to get a, de a, a, a determination letter from the IRS in advance, basically that uh, you know certified or uh, gave indication that the IRS approved their their uh, their enterprise as a as a, an appropriate program related investment. Uh, much similar to uh, a 501c3. Uh, Letter that um, uh, is uh, in the in the traditional uh, uh, nonprofit space that's that's submitted by the the IRS. I think that would remove a lot of this ambiguity. But I think also I think more and more foundations are becoming familiar and uh, and hopefully will take advantage of this tool, but also see the need for philanthropy that is more catalytic. It, it doesn't necessarily have to be program-related investments, but uh, certainly there are other ways to um, to address philanthropy that is uh, in a way that can become more more scalable and self-sustaining and, and generate essentially a, a bigger return for the philanthropic dollar that is spent uh, in, the, in the space. Right, right. Um, Catalytic capital. You talked about that a, a few times, Jim. What, what's this? How, how do you use this? What, what what does this mean? Well, in my, uh, you know, to me, um, very simply, it's it's where the so-called social impact, so to speak, uh, is much greater than than the dollar that's been donated or or invested, um, and so. Uh, clearly, that could be in the form of a program-related investment that uh, becomes magnified, and where you're addressing maybe you know a few thousand people in in a traditional nonprofit donation, uh, it has the potential to reach millions of people or tens of thousands of people. Um, I think it also applies to grants that uh, are developing the kind of research uh, and uh, supporting, uh, you know, data or new models that have the potential to, uh, to generate that kind of uh, return. Or it could be in supporting intermediaries or other uh, organizations that are going to uh, generate, again, a much greater impact than than uh, the donor dollar that went in to help support them uh, to set them up. Do you think there's more potential for foundations to use PRIs and to support social entrepreneurship in that way? Yes, I think there is uh, tremendous uh, potential. Uh, less than 1% of the philanthropic dollars today are in program-related investments or PRIs. And uh, so I think as there's there's more um, understanding and clarity around program related investments and foundations look for ways to be more catalytic in their philanthropy that this is a great tool and and would hope to see 
that grow to be a much uh, bigger percentage of, of the philanthropic dollars that foundations spend. Right. Right, that's interesting. Yes. Um, now we talked a little bit uh, earlier on about um, the ecosystem, and I know you you uh, this is something that you think about and uh, are actively involved in developing in 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 different ways, uh, impact investment, different kinds of intermediaries, and um, and and I guess awareness on in, in different ways. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that, Jim? Why why that matters and what you think is important here? Well, I I think it kind of uh, comes back to your last question, um, which is really how to, as as it's often been said, move impact investing from the shadows to the mainstream. And I think in order to do that, um, you've got to build out an ecosystem, and that uh, ecosystem is going to look very similar to traditional capital markets. Um, you know, you're going to have more invest, investable products uh, on all ends of the spectrum. Um, you're going to have um, uh, organizations that um, that help social entrepreneurs. Uh, that uh, in the in the in, and funds and uh, uh, you know legal firms and uh, and other. Uh, you know, technical and financial uh, support organizations that help to structure the transactions uh, that are intermediaries. All of that needs to be ultimately uh, developed, and it's going to take time. Uh, I mean, it, it took time for us to have the efficiency in the current financial markets, the traditional financial markets, and it'll also take time in uh, impact investing. I think the thing again that I point to that I think is encouraging is there's there's uh, continued demand. I think that demand is growing, and I think uh, there is a, a growth in uh, you know the, the the amount of of capital that is being deployed uh, around the world into these new uh, sectors and uh, geographies for impact investing. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I have one more question just before I come to that, and uh, this has been a fascinating uh, discussion, Jim. And uh, uh, do you have any advice for social entrepreneurs? Uh, you probably see them in in many guises and many different kinds of projects over the years, bringing uh, uh, their, their their projects and their ideas to you. Um, are there one or two things that you might uh, suggest to them in terms of helping them? focus on where they, they might be able to do a bit better or tell their story or just generally engage with investors uh, more successfully? Well, I think there are many networks that have been established, many um, organizations now that are focused uh, on really helping these entrepreneurs. I've mentioned one of them. I mean, there, there are many others. Uh, certainly taking advantage of the networks. I think uh, clearly, um, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur myself, there are a lot of great um, um, lessons that I learned. I think clearly you have to be, um, you know, you have to be tenacious. You have to be adaptable. Um, you have to build 
uh, and continually uh, find good people. And, uh, you know, you have to have business models that are innovative, that uh, clearly, uh, you know, have a, a, a tremendous opportunity to be successful financially as well as uh, addressing the social issues that, that they are focused on. And uh, I think that there's a tremendous opportunity for social entrepreneurs. I can tell you that um, uh, this is something that, that really resonates with uh, the next generations, uh, you know, the, the, the students that are in the, in the Sorensen Impact Center um, love what they're doing. Uh, they, they get 100% job placement at uh, between, you know, 30 to 40% greater compensation than their peers. Uh, and I think it's through what they learn and the experience and the networks that they develop uh, in this space. And so I think there's a tremendous future for, um, uh, you know, new and, uh, uh, you know, very smart and bright uh, entrepreneurs in, in this space. Thank you, Jim. And looking to the future, then a final question. How do you personally see your role as an investor and supporter of social entrepreneurship in so many ways evolving? in the next, you know, five, 10 years? Well, um, I continue to, and will continue to champion this. I believe in it. I'm passionate in it. I, I do that through education. I do that through uh, advocacy. And, and uh, I think there's ways to really move this much faster in, in, uh, in policies that are innovative, uh, that uh, incentivize and motivate impact investing. And I continue to participate in it by making investments and providing uh, the catalytic capital that's often need to, uh, needed to, to, uh, to move uh, these, these businesses uh, along to become successful. Well, that's a great vision, Jim. And thank you so much for taking the time today to speak to me and share the great work that you're doing. And I wish you the very best of success. Very well. Very good, Virgil. And it's been great to talking to you. And I really appreciate the, the great service that you're doing in uh, helping to educate others that are interested in this space. Thank you very much, Jim. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Financing Social Entrepreneurs podcast. I hope you found this interview valuable. Please make sure to visit financingsocialentrepreneurs.com and subscribe to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts. This podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Echoing Green. Echoing Green drives social progress further, faster, via its Global Social Entrepreneurship Fellowship, now running for 30 years. Echoing Green's new Impact Investing Program aims to bridge the gap between impact investors and social entrepreneurs to help build more resilient and financially stronger social impact businesses. You can find out more at echoinggreen.org.